Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 11. Isaiah 55, Psalm chapter 40. All right, here they are again, Hebrews 11. Isaiah 55, Psalm 40. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat back pocket in front of you. Now, if you notice every time I say that, I say there should be. Because sometimes you borrow them. And we're very grateful that you borrow them. But if you've got 15 in your trunk... Either give them to someone or bring them back. Amen? Amen. And let me say, these Bibles are provided by people in our church. When someone passes here and the church wants to give a donation as we do a funeral or memorial, we don't receive it. And sometimes they'll insist because that's what the church does. We minister when people have need. And so when the family insists, we will say to them, listen. We're going to receive this gift, and we're going to buy Bibles with those gifts. this gift. And every time you hear, if you don't have a Bible, take the one in the seat back pocket. Know that we are remembering your loved one in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. He, yes, you can clap for that. That's great. <laughs> Hebrews 11, Isaiah 15. Okay, five people clap. That's fine. <laughs> Psalm chapter 40. All right. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father. We've spent a long time in Hebrews 11. Because I believe that you are purposing to build our faith. And I know for me personally, some of these characters have been a challenge. Like Enoch. He faithfully walked with you for 365 years. And sometimes I struggle going through a trial for a month. Or like Abraham, he didn't know where he was going, but he did what you asked him to do. So, Lord, as we study now your word, these characters of faith have been given to us to set an example for us. And that's an example in of itself that we are supposed to set an example for others of faith. Because in the 21st century, 2,000 years beyond this first century Christianity, I pray that we would not water down, compromise the truth of the way that you want us to live by faith. Would you please give us that grace? In Jesus' name. Hebrews chapter 11, would you look at verse 6? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You see, as believers, we've got one goal. And that goal is to glorify our God his way, not our way. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul, he sums up the Christian life in a verse. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all, say it with me, to the glory of God. If you drink Coke, drink it to the glory of God. If you drink Coke Zero, if you're a Pepsi product person, we still love you. If you like steak, enjoy that burnt offering to the glory of the Lord. Whatever you do, now think about your day. Think about your day for just a minute. Apply this verse to your life, do all to the glory of God. In fact, Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he would say this, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, in other words, if we live or die, to be well-pleasing to him. It's my goal in life. So when I go to make a decision, does this please God? When I go to get a job, does this please God? When I go to decide what school I'm going to, does this please God? When I'm going to decide the career that I want to have, does this please God? When I'm dating the person I'm dating, does this please God? So in context, though, I need us to help us understand this life of faith that pleases him. Because sometimes people think that the step of faith is that you just, you're going out on a limb doing whatever you feel is the right thing to do. That's not faith that he's talking about in Hebrews 11. The faith that we're speaking about in Hebrews 11 is they heard God's word. They knew exactly what God wanted them to do, like Noah build a boat. And they chose to do it. They knew, they heard, they understand God's word, and they chose to do it. And so what Hebrews 11 does is gives us several human examples of people that did it. Because the Holy Spirit, he wanted to encourage those in the first century world that were suffering, that were facing hard times, that were being persecuted. (coughs) And he wanted to to encourage them to press on. And can I tell you, it worked. It worked. When Caesar Nero became Caesar and he blamed Christians for the fires, it initiated 300 years of Christian persecution where 3 million Christians died for their faith because they read Hebrews 11. What the Holy Spirit did in writing this down worked. He inspired three million brothers and sisters of ours to die for their faith. Okay, Pastor Chet, where are you going with this Bible study? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Take a look at the screen. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Don't Run away like a coward. Let me put it in Chet English. Don't run away like a coward. And that's the title of today's message. Stand fast in the faith. 
Stand fast in the faith. Sometimes it can be challenging to do what God is asking us to do. Can the church say amen? Amen. How many of you like when God gives you the answer, wait? (laughs) Who likes wait? Who likes, amen. (laughs) We like yes, we like no. Those are the answers we like. We don't like 20 years of wait. Sometimes it's hard to do what he's asking us to do. I mean, think of Joshua from last week. Can you just, he's a combat veteran. And thank God for Pastor Clint. Amen? Amen. And I heard he gave a short message. Let me assure you that will not happen tonight. <laughs> Some of you came back because thought, you thought we were changing and going down to like 35-minute messages. Won't happen. <laughs> Two people. Joshua's a combat veteran. If anybody knows the art of war, it is the commander Joshua. So God comes to him, the angel of the Lord of the host. And just imagine, when, when an angel of the Lord of the host, host, host would show up to anybody, what would they do? They would drop on their face. Now let me tell you how, how much of an attitude Joshua has. When the angel of the army of the Lord showed up to Joshua, you know what he did? Are you for me or are you against me? He goes, I am the captain of the host of the army of heaven. And then Joshua dropped to his feet. Joshua's a strong guy. And the captain of heaven's host said to Joshua, march around the city seven times. (laughs) If you're Joshua, the mighty military strategist, that word, strategic person, and you hear the captain of heaven tell you, march around a wall. Do you know what they do when you march around a wall? They shoot you with arrows. When you march around a wall, they throw tar on you. And then they throw fire on you. When you march around a wall, it's the dumbest thing to do, militarily speaking. You don't march around a wall of a city that you're going to engage. But God says, I want you to march around it seven times. Because God wanted them to go into the promised land by faith. Trust me, Joshua, do it my way. Now, imagine Joshua going to his, his commanders, and they're in the war room, and he goes, okay, here's how we're going to invade. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to ram through the gate? <clears throat> um, actually, we're going to sing and march around the wall a couple times, then we're going to blow a few trumpets. <laughs> now, you are his general, and you look at him and go, dude, you've lost your mind. Are you kidding me? They're going to shoot us with arrows. They're going to drop tar on us. They're going to burn us alive. We're all going to die. (laughs) That wasn't in the plan, but maybe the Lord wants me to take a little drink here. (laughs) And isn't it amazing that sometimes the things that God asks us to do just won't make sense in the natural mind? Just doesn't make sense in the natural mind. He even tells us that. It's Romans chapter 11. Listen to what he says. Romans chapter 11. Listen to what the Spirit lets us know. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding. You can't figure them out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Remember when Job said, was complaining about everything he's going through? And God looked at him and he said this. Where were you when I created the ostrich? A bird who can run faster than a horse. He's got wings, but he can't fly. Where were you, Job? Thinks you think you're so smart. Now take a look. Or 
who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. But you know what the problem is in the 21st century? Science. We don't like mystery. We like to figure everything out. And God says, you can't figure me out. And unless we can prove it, we don't like it. And God says, you can't figure me out. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 55, just to let you know. If you think you can figure God out, oh, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think like you. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. I don't do the things you do. I don't even even have bitterness in me. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. It's God's polite way of saying, you poor little people, you. I just think so much more than you. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and don't return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When I say it, trust it, it will happen. That's what God's saying. Joshua, march around. Trust me, Joshua, just do it. Think of Rahab. Think of Rahab. The soldiers come into Jericho, and they go to the harlot's house. What a great strategy. They wouldn't have been recognized, because it was normal for soldiers to go to harlots. So no one would have suspected anything. What a great, smart strategy. Who would have considered that it would be unusual for a soldier to go to a harlot's house? She hides them. She lets them down with a scarlet cord after telling them, we're all afraid of God. We've heard what he can do. And now you people are coming upon us and we're terrified. What can I do to be saved? So she saves them. And they say to her, let the same scarlet cord hang out of the, uh, of the house when we blow the trumpets and bring all your family inside the house. That's the only way that you will be saved. So she hides them. And then she lets that scarlet cord just hang. That was a public identification. She was letting everyone know, this is the place of salvation. But in order to be saved, you had to remain in the house. And these two things save us today. You see, living in the 21st century is no different than living in this century. And we need to let everyone see the scarlet blood of Jesus in our life. We need to let his scarlet blood be visible to everyone in our life. This saves us. So when we go to do something dumb... Someone looks at us and they say, aren't you a Christian? Zach and I, uh, Pastor Zach and I, we did a uh, triathlon uh, uh, years ago. And Zach's from Ohio. Like, there's not a lot of water in Ohio. So he wanted to take a look at the swim. It was the thing that he was most worried about. It was the bike and the run. Like, he, can, he was a soccer player. He was a professional soccer player in Europe. Like, bike and run was no issue for him. It was the swim. 
So we went the day before, and I said, dude, you stay with me during the run. I'll stay with you during the swim. I was a, a collegiate swimmer. So, I, I mean, swimming was no issue for me. And I figured if he drowns, I'll save him and bring him, and then we'll just keep going, right? So we figured he would carry me on the run. I'd carry him on the swim. We'd make it through. That was just what we decided to do. Well, here's the deal. We go to the water's edge, and we take a look. He's like, look, he's like, wow, that's a long lap, right? So these two other guys are standing there. And, you know, in the United States of America, it, it's, hello, how are you? The very next question is, what do you do? So I tell everybody I'm a pastor. Well, as soon as you say you're a pastor, it's like <laughs> the vacuum. Now, they had cursed the entire time we were in conversation with them. And all of a sudden now they are like, well, I'm a little Catholic saint. Like, I mean, it just went from there. Well, I say that I'm a pastor, and one of the guys goes, oh, I'm a Christian. And his friend looked at him and said, you are? <laughs> Man, you got to let your scarlet thread be seen by everybody. It protects you. It saves you. But you got to stay in the house. You got to stay in the house. You remember when the death angel, the death angel was going through Egypt? And God said, I want you to put the blood on the doorpost of the heart. A doorpost, uh, the blood on the doorpost of the door. There we go. And let's say you're curious. And you put the blood on the doorpost. But then you hear all this stirring going on. And you're a little curious. So you open the door. You look outside. It's a little dark, a little mystical. It's like, wow, this is really cool. And you choose to leave the house. You have chosen to leave protection. And if you were caught outside, you would die. So Jude says this. Jude, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. There's our goal. We're making it our aim to please God. We hear what he has to say and we do it. Praying in the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God is asking us to do. Even Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And then he says... Keep yourselves in the house. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We've got to get in the house and stay in the house because all the walls around Rahab's house fell down but hers. See, choosing to live by faith protects you. And Rahab feared the Lord. She stood against her city, She turned her back on her city, and she turned her back on her culture. And if Rahab the harlot can do it in one day of faith, then you can do it. I've been sitting here at Calvary Chapel South Bay for 10, 20 years. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, let's take a look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me. In other words, I don't have enough time to write all the examples. The time would fail me of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now stop there for a minute because he's introducing to us another group. He's leaving the individuals. He's introducing to us a group, the group of the judges, which is basically the leaders of Israel before there were kings, then the kings, David, and then the prophets, Samuel. They were governmental and spiritual leaders of the nation. 
But I find it interesting that he picked these characters. Remember, these guys are struggling. Remember, these guys want to depart from the faith. Some of them have decided that they just can't be a Christian. It's too hard. And I think there's a reason that he picked Gideon, Barak, and Samson because all three of them have one thing in common. They all struggled with doing what God asked them to do. So I believe what the Holy Spirit is doing is putting a little bit of humanity in there because sometimes when I think we think of Moses, we're like, Moses saw the burning bush. If I saw a burning bush, I'd do whatever God told me to do too. Noah saw 40 days of rain. I mean, if I saw that, I would do whatever God wanted me to do as well. And some of us, we look at these Bible characters as they were something super spiritual and not real. So what he does is he brings us a little bit closer to humanity with three guys that struggled. I mean, think of what Gideon did. God, if this is really you, I'm putting a fleece out, putting a little lambskin. If it's wet, but the ground is dry, we're good. Okay, God, thank you very much. I'm glad that it was wet. But tonight, I'm going to put it back out. Let the lambskin be dry and the ground soaking wet. Christians come to me all the time and go, well, I'm just putting a fleece out. I'm just putting a fleece out. Fleece represents Gideon's unfaithfulness to do what God was calling him to do. So if you come to me and say you're putting your fleece out, I'm going to say to you, you're struggling with faith. You know what God's told you to do, but you don't want to do it. That was what Gideon was doing. Then, after God showed up, Gideon still struggles with faith, and God says, I want you to go to the Midianites' camp, and he overhears a Midianite talk about a dream, and the other guy interprets it and says, the Israelis are coming in, and they're going to destroy us. And Gideon goes back, and the Bible says he worshiped, and he went back, and he goes, we got to go throw our clay pots down. That was the big weapon that they were going to use. They're going to throw clay pots down. Gideon, he struggled. Barak? Barak was the captain of the army. And he didn't do what God told him to do until Deborah, the leader of Israel at the time, went with him. I'm not going. I'm not going to do it unless you go with me. He was struggling. Samson? Samson squandered his entire ministry career until the end of his life. You know why? Listen, guys. He had an anger problem. He had an anger problem. And he had a real, he had a pretty bad anger problem. Do you remember when he killed 30 men because he needed 30 suits? He needed 30 suits, okay? So instead of going to buy the suits, he killed 30 men, took the suits off, and then he won the bet. Let me tell you an anger problem. This is an anger problem. He caught 200 foxes. Do you know how difficult it is to catch one fox? He caught 200 foxes, tied their tails together, lit them on fire, and put them through the fields of, uh, uh, of the Philistines. Do you know how long it took him to do that? Like, that's a long cool-down period. That's more than 20 minutes. He had an anger problem. And everyone always thinks that when it came to Delilah, that he gave in to lust. Lust was not how he failed. Delilah tempted him three times with lust. 
And finally, on the fourth time you read it yourself, the Bible says he was so angry in his spirit at her persistence, he told her. Anger destroyed him. Anger did. Samson wasted his whole ministry career. And he ended up grinding stone in prison to wake him up. With his eyes gouged out. You see, gang, God desires to be glorified and that we make it our aim in life. And the thing about God is, if it's not, he's got like a special way to help us get there. Now, some of us hope it's a fleece like Gideon because none of us want to be grinding stone with our eyes plucked out like Samson. So the Holy Spirit is giving the believers these examples because he knows it's getting rough, and when it gets rough, we begin to struggle in faith. So let's take a look for Gideon. Gideon was going up against an invincible army. Take a look at Judges 7.12. Judges 7.12. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Have you ever seen a swarm of locusts? I have. I planted a cassava farm in Liberia. As the cassava was growing, a swarm of locusts decided to bless me one night. They came in and ate my cassava to the soil. Gone. Five acres of hard work overnight gone. There, go back with me. Judges chapter 7, verse 12. They were lying in the valleys, numerous locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. This is an army. So Gideon makes a call to the children of Israel, and 32,000 men show up. And Gideon is thinking to himself, how in the world are we going to win against a seashore of sand of people? And God says, hey, Gideon, I got an idea. What is it, God? Um, you got too many people. <laughs> uh, excuse me, God? So I want you to make an announcement. Everyone that's afraid, go home. 22,000 men go home. He's left with 10,000. And he's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And God goes, Gideon, can we have a war room meeting? Um, there's still too many. Still too many? So here's what I'm going to do. Go down to the river, let them take a drink. The ones that pick up the water and go, (laughs) I want you to pick those. Well, nobody's going to use their dirty hands to pick up that water. They're going to go down on their knees like this, and they're going to drink like this. And guess what? 9,700 men went down like this. Only 300 pigs (laughs) went like this. And God goes... Those guys are my guys. You're picking the guys that drank from dirty hands? Yep. Because there's something about me, Gideon, that you don't know. I choose the weak things of the world to confound the wise. That's just who I am. And I'm going to use these 300 guys to blow you away. Look at Judges chapter 7, verse 7. The Bible says this. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped... I will save you. Now remember, this is God speaking to Gideon. I'm going to do it. 
and I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Can you imagine when the 9,700 were leaving? Gideon's like, see ya. God bless you. We're going to die. See ya. And God says, I'm going to save through these 300. And Gideon did what God said despite the overwhelming opposition. And if Gideon can do it, so can you. Stand fast when you're overwhelmed. Stand fast when you're overwhelmed. For Barak. Barak was going against 900 iron chariots. That's like 900 tanks in that world. And you know what they had? Donkeys. And you are going against a... I mean, you've got a full-on rawhide that's coming for you. And the next thing you know, Barak is terrified. And God had told him to go, but Barak was afraid. Take a look. Look what Deborah tells him. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Benum, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, look what she says, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? He's already told you this. He's already given you his word, Barak. Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. Didn't God already tell you this? Brock said, if you go with me, then I'll go. You know what his hope was? She ain't going. His hope was she ain't going, so I won't have to do it. I'm too afraid. I love Deborah. Look, look, let me tell you something. Everybody needs a little Deborah in their life. Then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I won't go. So she said, you better believe I'm going, boy. You better pack your bag and get on that donkey because I'm going. <laughs> Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Do you know what that was? Backslap. That's what that was. In that culture, it, was, it wasn't, you know, the Lord of the Rings where uh, Siron comes on the scene and, and she goes to kill him and she goes, I am no man. And she's like, Whatever. I don't know if you're Lord of the Rings. Anyway, so he says, listen, you aren't going to have the glory for this one because you were afraid. So he gets rebuked by Deborah. He's living in fear. And you know what's amazing to me? God still uses him. Despite his fear, he went to battle. He chose faith over fear. And just like God said, when the iron tanks came against their little donkeys, Barak won against them, and Sisera went running. He ran so far that he ran into a friend of his. Her name was Jael. Don't mess with a girl named J.L. <laughs> and he said to her, listen, I'm going to hide in your tent. She goes, great idea. She goes, when they, he goes, when they come, tell them no one's been here. She goes, all right, I'll do it. She goes, why don't you go take a little nappy poo over in my cot? She covers him with a little blankie. God bless you. She goes to the corner of her tent. She gets a tent peg and a hammer. 
she puts the tent peg to his temple, and with one fell swoop, she puts the tent peg through his temples, and it goes into the ground, and she pegs his head to the floor. Hey! (laughs) Give it up for JL! So, Barak comes into the scene and goes, hey, have you seen Cicero? Oh, have I seen him? But trust me, he ain't seeing nobody. Go take a look. (laughs) Imagine when Barak went to the camp that night. Barak, I'm embarrassed to even know you. A girl killed Cicero. Now, please don't take that wrong, ladies. Listen, if you want to put a tent peg through someone's head, I get you are She-Ra. You are Xena the warrior princess. I get it. You can be that, all right? I get that. You can be a Deborah. But what I'm telling you, in this culture, it was a big deal. But I love that God used Barak anyway. Let me tell you something. If God used Barak, he can use you. So stand fast into God's word when you're afraid. Stand fast into God's word. Now let's talk about Samson. Samson. In Judges 16, we find him with his eyes gouged out, and he's walking around grinding stone. That's what he's doing until one day the Philistine lords go, we want a party. Bring out Samson. And they chain his hands to two pillars. Now everyone, whenever you see the pictures of Samson, he's like this like bodybuilding, like buffed, like biceps to here. Like, he can't even say hello because his bicep hits him. Like, that's what you, that's what you see when you, he's got abs. He's got, like, that is Samson. Like, you know, Samson, you know. Let me tell you something. Samson looked like me. Why do you think Delilah kept asking him, where do you get your strength from? He's just a scrawny little hunt, buck 80, where he was like, where? So I look at him and go, I mean, you look like what you look like. I mean, where does this strength come from? She had no idea. But when they put, (laughs) when they put his hands on the pillars, after his eyes were gouged out, he realized, I've not fulfilled my calling to destroy the enemy for my whole life. God, would you give me the strength right now to fulfill my calling even if it costs my life? Stand fast in your calling. I know it's difficult. Stand fast. What about Jephthah? It's Judges chapter 11. You can read his story later. It's fascinating. He was an illegitimate child. Daddy went on the outside. He slept with a prostitute. And from that union, Jephthah was born. Daddy had other kids. I'm from the Bahamas. There's a song where dad decides, where son decides to want to marry this girl. And the dad, through the song, is telling the son, you can't marry this girl. So finally, at the end of the song, the dad goes, the girl is your sister, but your mommy don't know. That's my culture. That's like a song we sang growing up. The girl is your sister, but your mommy don't know. Like, I mean, it's like... 
can't believe that's what I grew up in. That was the normal thing. It's like you just had someone on the outside. But the other sons wanted nothing to do with Jephthah. They didn't want this illegitimate son in their house because they were afraid that Jephthah would get some land. So they kicked Jephthah out. Get out. So he did. He left. Then the king of Ammon attacked Israel. And you know who they ran after? Jephthah. Because you know what Jephthah was doing? Think of this. The king of Ammon attacks Israel, and the only person they think to go get is the one they rejected, Jephthah. Think of the kind of guy that Jephthah had to be for them to be so desperate that they would go and get the guy that they wanted nothing to do with. This had to be a brute of a man living out in the woods. Think of what, I mean, big old beard eating locusts and honey. I mean, just imagine the kind of guy that he must have been for them to go, that guy can save us. Why would the writer of Hebrews put Jephthah in the story? Because there were people in the first century world, like there are in the 21st century, who were becoming Christians and their family were rejecting them as illegitimate family members. And what the Bible is encouraging us in with Jephthah, he's encouraging believers, I know your family has rejected you. But like Jephthah, when you go out into your wilderness, don't worry about physical strength, but you get spiritually strong. You stay strong in the Lord, and your faith is going to eventually win them over. You see, God has, a, God has a way in life to get unbelievers' attentions. He loves people so much, he'll do anything to get their attention. And it's amazing to me that when God does something to get someone's attention, the first person they run to is the believer in the house. And what he's telling them is, stay faithful despite the rejection because I know your family thinks you're useless, but one day in your faith, you will be useful. Stand fast when you're rejected. Stand fast when you're rejected. Now the Holy Spirit calls David to the witness stand. Hey, David, could you tell us how to stand fast in the faith? Now, as a young man... He was anointed the king of Israel. But let me tell you about that experience. Samuel comes in on the scene and Jesse lines up all of his kids, all the boys. Samuel goes, nope. No, first Samuel goes, oh, that must be the king. He's so strong and six foot four. That's got to be the guy. And God looks at him and goes, God looks, I look at the heart. I don't look at what you look at. That is not the guy. He goes through all of his sons and Samuel goes, there's none of them. You got any more left? Jesse forgot about David. He goes, well, I got one who's doing sheep. You want me to go get him? As soon as David shows up, that's the guy. That's the guy? David knew he was the anointed king of Israel. He knew it. From the time he was a teenager, he knew it. Think of the struggle that David had when Saul threw a spear at him and tried to kill him. Think of the struggle David had when the Israelites themselves turned on him. David remained faithful to God. And David gave us a secret on how we can stand fast. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. You won't like the first one. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and he heard my cry. 
What he doesn't say is that it was over 20 years. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And I know that's a song. But for David, it was an experience. And he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Do you know the point David tries to get across to us? You want to stand fast in the Lord? Wait on the Lord despite your horrible circumstances. Just wait on him. He chose to stand in faith. Then in verse 3, take a look. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turns aside to lies. You know what David decided to do? He decided to come to church, and when the first worship song began to sing, despite his horrible, miry clay experience, he lifted up his hands and he gave praise to God. That is the sacrifice of our lips. Though we don't feel it, we sing it by faith. David chose to praise. Take a look at verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you've done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they're more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did in desire. You don't want religion. My ears you've opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it's written to me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Let me tell you what David did. He relied on his relationship with God, not a religion. He relied on his relationship with God. Listen, God, I know you've been thinking about me for an eternity. And I'm going to trust all the thoughts that you have for me because you've been thinking this through a long time. This is not a blip in your radar. You took an eternity to plan my life. Your thoughts towards me, I can't even count them, he says. David's relationship with God gave him a spiritual perspective that he said, I delight to do what you're asking me to do. I'm going to live by faith. Whatever you want me to go through, I know you've thought it through, and I'm going to give it, I'm going to give in with all my heart to you. Look at verse 9. I proclaim the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. Oh, Lord, you yourself know. He calls God to the witness stand. I've not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Let me tell you what David did. He protected his heart because out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. And it's evident by his word and the proclamation that God is good in church. It's evident he protected his heart. He's not mad at God. He's not questioning him for this horrible, miry clay experiencing. He's purposing to tell everyone, God's got a plan for my life. It's Paul saying, don't be ashamed of my chains. I'm in prison for the gospel. God's got a plan. He's thought it through. It may not look like he does, but he does. And think of the cross. Do you remember how chaotic Jerusalem was on the day of the crucifixion? Nobody ever thought three days later there was going to be a resurrection, but God. But God. And take a look what David do, chooses to do in verse 11, and I believe this is what saved him. 
Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. He begins to pray. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. He goes, look, I've got evil around me and I've got evil in me. So that I'm not able to look up. I'm ashamed at what I've done. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. It gets a little fleshly here. Let, me be, let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. So now he's getting back spiritual. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. You know what he decides to do? Pray. Let me tell you something about prayer. The best thing that prayer changes is you. David goes, go get him, God. Ugh. Those people that go, aha, aha to me. I want you to confound them and put them to shame. Let the Lord be magnified. What happened, David? He was in the presence of God. And when you go in front of the presence of God, he changes your perspective to his. It's just what he does. It's just what he does. Go back with me to Hebrews 11. Now the Holy Spirit calls Samuel. Samuel followed God, and he led the people faithfully his whole life. Then the people say they want a king. Samuel's hurt. Samuel's hurt. It would be, let me put this in, and please, don't do this. Please don't. It would be like you all signing an agreement, we'd like a new pastor Like, it would really hurt my feelings. I've only been here for a year. Like, give me a shot, you know? <laughs> Samuel gave his entire life to the nation of Israel. And at the end of his life, they go, we, you, you, your boys are no good. Thank you, Samuel. You did try. Could you give us a king like everybody else? Samuel goes to God. And he's like, man, they really hurt my feelings. And God says, Samuel. Do what they're asking you to do. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Samuel did what Gosta asked him to do and found them a king, though he felt so rejected. He did it. And if Samuel can do it, so can you. Stand fast in your faith, not the way you feel. Stand fast in your faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, take a look. Man, I was really hoping we'd finish Hebrews 11. Um, we just might. You might be here till 9. We'll see. I'm teasing a little bit. Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Look at verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, 
work righteousness, obtain promises, stop the mouth of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Woohoo! Stand fast when you're victorious. Stand fast when you're victorious. Because this is victorious kind of faith. This is like, wow, kind of faith. I'll never forget. My ministry in Liberia was to child soldiers. So you had to go behind enemy lines to go be with child soldiers. So whenever I'd go behind the lines, I looked at my wife and I would say goodbye. I wouldn't say see you later because I didn't know if I was coming back. And we had decided that this was my, the calling of my life. So, and I was convinced. Her, fam- her favorite person was Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know if you know who she was. Her husband ministered to the Alka Indians. He got killed and she wrote books and became famous. So every time Andre would be like, goodbye, I'm like, you just want to write books and become famous. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> now, when we first met, Andrea looked at me and she goes, I've always wanted to marry someone like Jim Elliott. And talk, speak about misunderstanding. What I heard was, you want me dead? But what she was saying, I want a man filled with faith. So men and women, Mars and Venus, okay? So here we go. So one night we're coming back. It's midnight. And the rebels had lined the road with nails. So we got four flat tires. So we had used all of our spare tires. You take two tires in the bush with you when you go. So we had six flat tires, basically. So now we're stuffing the tires with dirt and grass just so that we can get out from behind enemy lines. This is like your pastor, okay? A guy... Midnight, walks up to us with a machete. He swipes the machete on the ground. And he comes up and he puts the machete to my driver's throat. Now, my driver, the driver was a very good friend of mine. He was a, like a 60-year-old man that was really the only one who was willing to give his life for the gospel. He's gone home to be with Jesus. His name was, uh, we called him Paul Williams, um, but uh, his name was Sylvester Williams. And He has the machete to his throat. And Mr. Williams looks at him and goes, who are you? He goes, I'm greater than God. Well, Mr. Williams was not putting up with that. And he goes, this is my country. These are my people, and this is my land. You may kill me today, but you are not greater than God. You know what I was thinking? This is not my country. These are not my people. I've never stepped foot on this land before. So I kneeled down to get the tire iron, and I thought I would pop up and hit him in the head, and we would, like, just run. So I went down. I got the tire iron. I came up, and my head hit the hatch of the car. I hit it so hard, I passed right out. True story. I woke up. I woke up. It was so dark and so hot. I knew I couldn't be in hell, but I finally believed in purgatory. I'm like, I've got to be in purgatory. (laughs) 
And I looked at Mr. Williams and I go, am I dead? He goes, you're not dead. I was like, oh, thank God, I thought there was a purgatory. I, I started crying. And I go, what happened? He goes, Chet, we were ambushed. That guy was one of 17 other guys. And when you went to hit him, they came out of the bush with machine guns to kill us. And then they just turned around and they ran away. I can't wait to meet the angel who stood in that car. You touch him, you die. Now, that's not my friend's story. That's my story. You know what I learned from that story? Don't help God out. Because he will pass you out. Now, everyone hears that story. Yes! Praise the Lord! Victorious faith! I want that! But you've got to be careful to stand fast in victory. Because at the height of David's career, he fell with Bathsheba. Victory. At the height of Joseph at Potiphar, Inc. came his temptation. You've got to stand fast when you're victorious. Paul says it like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Now, there's another group. And I'm going to close with this. It's 830. I'm going to do two minutes, okay? So just stay with me. I told you I'm not Pastor Clint. Love him. Hebrews 11. Take a look at the next group. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, Zechariah, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Some would say hallelujah. Really? of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. We need to stand fast in defeat. None of us want these stories. Who wants to be tortured? A little waterboarded? You know, we'll set up a little special training. Over here in the room... We will start beating you just to prepare you for what you desire. <laughs> Anybody want to, like, walk on coals to see what it's like to be burned by the stake? I mean, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Who wants this? We want the, praise the Lord, the angels showed up story. Yeah. Nobody wants my head gets chopped off story. Nobody wants that. But what the writer is trying to get across, stand fast in defeat. Stand fast in defeat. You see, there are people that are walking away from the faith because it's getting hard. And he's revealing the faith of those that didn't walk away. What's your choice? Stand fast in defeat.
Father, I want to thank you for our faith because you're so real. Like you just, you, you didn't tell us that we're going to just be victorious. You also told us there were some that got sawn in two. And I don't know what that first like saw blade felt like as it began to cut. But it is amazing to me that this was someone's life and they chose to stand fast in the midst of that. So Lord, I pray as you use the Holy Spirit to encourage the first century, three million Christians to give their life for the gospel. The power of Hebrews chapter 11 transformed Christians' lives where three million over 300 years would read this and choose to die for their faith. I pray you would just encourage us to stand for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.